Psalm 103 can be found on um, page 502, black Bibles in front of you. Hear the word of the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness for all who are oppressed. He has made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, his mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is the word of the Lord. So we, you've heard of uh, Christmas in July, well, putting a little bit of July in Christmas this year. We, back over in the summer, we had a series of, of psalms that we went through, and in our uh, progression of sermons this year, uh, we're taking a short break and we're going to go back to the psalms um, and take another look. If I say the word God to you, what pops into your mind? Inevitably, there's some image or impression that comes into your mind. That image could be different for everyone because that image that comes into your mind is shaped by your experiences, by our culture, things we read, sermons we hear. And sometimes those influences are good. Other times they can distort our vision and we can't see clearly. Our text this morning, as you know, is Psalm 103. It was written by David and generally thought to be in his later years. Charles Spurgeon described this psalm in particular as a comprehensive scripture unto itself and the highest peak in a chain of mountaintops among the psalms. What we learn in Psalm 103 this morning from David is that God is sovereign and that he is good. So let's take a look at this psalm 
and view it from maybe a somewhat distorted perspective shaped by our modern American culture. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. That's good. I do that every Sunday when we sing. I feel all the feels with that. That's good. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Great with the idea of benefits. I've heard of those. God wants us to be happy. He can help me live my best life now. And of course, the universal benefit, I can do all things. Nothing is beyond my reach if I just believe hard enough. Who forgives all your iniquity? Hmm, that sounds good, but iniquity is a very strong word. I can't be as bad as iniquity sounds, am I? Who heals all your diseases? Hmm, I do know some people were healed after we sent out good thoughts and prayers and things. And even some of those seem like a miracle, but I also know quite a few where that didn't work out so well. Who redeems you, your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good. I like the good, but a lot of bad stuff happens too. And am I ever really satisfied? So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Well, some days I'm just very tired. Tired of everything. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. This one's even harder to believe. Go a few blocks in any direction and you'll see a lot of unrighteousness. You'll see a lot of injustice and even oppression. Life really isn't fair. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. If you're familiar with the story of David, you know that he dealt with the consequences of his sin that he had uh, committed with Bathsheba and her husband Uriah for the rest of his life. I know I have a lot of sins, some that I really regret, and I know that everyone has their secret sins that you would rather no one found out about. How can our sins be that far away when they seem so close? I had a few experiences in wrestling with some of these ideas early in life. Between the years of uh, the 15 years between about age 12 through 27, I counted 10 friends or acquaintances I've known who died in car accidents at a very young age. Give one example, I was a small group leader for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship during college. And on Christmas Eve, 32 years ago, my small group co-leader was coming home from a small gathering with friends. She was hit head on by someone who had too much to drink and she was gone in an instant. Every single one of those people that I knew left a hole in the lives of their family and friends that knew them. How is any of that good? I was 27 when my mother passed away and she was only 49. She had medical issues for a number of years, in and out of the hospital. One time she went in for a minor procedure compared to some of those other things, but this time she got sepsis, which is a blood infection. And then her major system shut down one by one. Now I had full confidence that God could perform a miracle and I prayed accordingly. It's right to pray for healing, and we're often told in scriptures to do so. But if all we needed to have 
is sincere faith as small as a mustard seed and earnest prayer to trigger some movement of God, I can assure you I had it in abundance. And I still believe she could walk down that aisle right now if God so willed it. God often does miracles, but he's not a magic genie, never promised he would grant every wish, always heal, raise the dead, or even remove pain and suffering. God only promises that he is our refuge and strength and our comfort. Now, as painful as some of these things are, sometimes there's pain that's of a different kind. One kind in particular for me was even harder than going through the pain of the death of a loved one because it involves death of another kind, and that's the death of self. The first time I met my wife, Linda, I knew she was different than anybody I'd ever met. Over just a few weeks, we became fast friends. I quickly came to the conclusion that she was everything that I liked about every girl I've ever liked, all rolled up into one. So I prayed a lot about it, and I knew what God was saying, finally, this is the one. We never really officially dated. <clears throat> However, those months were some of the happiest that I've ever had. They were kind of what you might call those romantic, magical times. <clears throat> but as is often the case, there was another guy somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and so once I began to take an interest, he did as well. One thing led to another, and they were engaged by Christmas time. That was also the same 32 years ago that my uh, friend had passed away. Then Linda did something that changed my life entirely. She asked for my blessing on that engagement. Now, I can't fully describe what kinds of things that request triggered, but I can tell you <laughs> that it was one of the most painful experiences of my life. Now, I'll come back to this story in a minute, but for now, just know that none of this makes sense in light of how we first read Psalm 103. To make sense of this passage, we need a little bit more context. David wasn't moved to write these words on a fleeting feeling one day. He knew God, he knew God's promises, and he trusted them. Do you know God and his promises, and can you trust him to deliver on those promises? The first thing that David knew about God is that he is the sovereign Lord of all. He knew and studied scripture. He knew that God created the world and everything in it, he knew about Abraham, he knew about uh, Job, he knew about the way that uh, uh, Job in the end could only say, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. David knew that everything that Job had in the first place was only because it was given to him by God. And David's own story was one of God's sovereign provision in making him king in Israel. The point for us here today is that every aspect of life, from the ground you walk on to the air you breathe, is from God. Nothing happens that he isn't aware of. He's in absolute control of everything, always, in all times, and all places. And yet, while we cannot understand his purposes all the time, we can trust him. When I was a kid, about 10 or 11, we were in a pool at a friend's apartment. 
my father offered to push me around on a raft in the deep end of the pool. When I was 10 or 11, I used to have nightmares about water. I loved being in the water, but only to a certain point. At the time, I couldn't really swim very well, about three feet of distance, 20 seconds of trading water, that was about it. It seemed like it took a very long time uh, for my father to try and convince me to trust him to get on that raft, but I didn't. <clears throat> and so I was banished from the pool for the rest of the day. <clears throat> I felt bad about that, but you have to understand these nightmares were pretty, pretty strong. So if you go forward a few weeks, we went to the beach. My father wanted to try again and asked me this time to climb on his back while he went out way far in the water. <clears throat> well, having learned from that first experiences, experience, I wanted my father to know that I could trust him, so I climbed on, and here I am still. <laughs> <laughs> now, I still, nothing had changed. I still couldn't swim, all that but I had to simply let go of all my fear and trust that my father wouldn't let me slip off. Well, this is just a pale shadow of what it's like to trust God because the consequences are more important than simple earthly death by water <clears throat> or the trust between a father and son. So let's go back to the entry-level basics. Maybe this level of trust in God is foreign to you. Maybe it's because you haven't trusted Christ with the forgiveness of sins. Maybe you've never heard God talked about in quite this way. Or maybe you've even been in church for a long time. You grew up in and around the church. You all know all the right words to say, the kind of secret code words for the entry into a Christian club. But if you stop and think and you're honest, somewhere in the back of your mind... You find comfort in the fact that you're really okay. You've gone to church every Sunday for decades. You give a lot of money, you help whenever you're asked, and you don't have any of those big sins to your account. So you, you think that's fine. In fact, you're even a model citizen. God has to be pleased with that, right? Well, to be blunt, the answer is no. Never has been, it never will be enough. All of it's useless. Never enough to atone for one sin, let alone the sins of a lifetime. You've never come to terms with your guilt, looked squarely in the face of evil, and said, That's me. Romans 3:23 through 25 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood to be received by faith. Trusting him means that we come to Christ with nothing. We bring nothing to the table because we have nothing to offer. It is faith in Christ alone, his sacrifice of blood on the cross alone, that brings us life and restores us to fellowship with God. Jesus himself is the validation that God is sovereign and that he is good. Here's your first and primary promise from God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16. That is a promise. 
Now, for those of you who know the gospel and have acknowledged that you have nothing to offer God and thrown yourselves fully on his promise, we should remember that the same thing should be true every hour of every day. If we truly trust Christ with our eternal soul, we must also trust him for every day. Life comes fast and things happen, sometimes hard and painful things. People start saying a lot of things to you, sometimes directly opposing ideas. Live a life of service. Stop apologizing. Seize the day. Go with the flow. Name it and claim it. Trust yourself. Trust your heart. Just believe. Do what feels right. You have a right to be happy and fulfilled. Everything gets confusing. So then you get even more tired. You think, why is this happening? You think God's mad, he's too far away. Maybe he's not even real at all. What in the world am I supposed to think after all that? Isn't there anything that I could hold on to to make it all stop? Well, in fact, there is. Again, we go back to scripture to straighten out our thinking because God tells us exactly what to hold on to. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus himself held on to the joy set before him, that joy was God's glory and the fact that God's purpose and will are absolute and will be accomplished in the end. And the further joy of bringing many sons, which is us, to glory. Likewise, Paul tells us to hold on to Jesus. Hold on to the fact that God is sovereign. Our sins are forgiven and completely gone. And that Christ will return one day and set everything to right. That's what you can hold on to. So let me go back to the story I started earlier. <clears throat> when Linda asked for my blessing of her impending marriage to another, my initial reaction was, as you might think, I wanted to be angry at everyone. Sad to say, but as is common uh, of young men in that position, it also caused me to question God. How can you give me that hope and then take it away so harshly? I never questioned God's sovereignty nor was I, but now I was questioning his fairness and goodness. My thoughts were everywhere during those few days. And the exact journey of how I got to where I actually ended up is probably a story for another day. But for purposes here, um, my thoughts always came back to two inescapable conclusions. In all that turmoil, I found these things to hold on to. God is all and in all. Where else could I even go that was apart from God? And I came to the conclusion that he is good. I had a sense of the depth of my own sin, that those sins were gone through the blood of Christ, God's own son. And that led me to a place where I could then actually give that blessing to Linda. If I had said that I loved her, and love is sacrifice and not a feeling... It's seeking the best for others above yourself. So if I said that I actually loved her, and if that meant that God had something else in mind for 
her that was best other than me, then that's what I also wanted. How we ended up together is also a story for another day. <laughs> but that day there was just real love and letting go. I didn't know how the story would turn out at the time. All I had to do was love. Knowing what Christ has, had done for me, how could I not love others in return? So now we have a little bit more context to go back to Psalm 103. So let's go back in, but this time with a bit of a different perspective. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Notice that David begins here by speaking to himself. He consciously engages his heart, his mind, his soul, and his strength. He chooses to reflect on God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now he begins to rehearse everything he knows about God. It's not just an abstract feeling, but a determined look at everything he's learned. We're called to do the same. Our main job as members of the church is to continually remind each other of the gospel. Who forgives all your iniquity? Now the word seems like a mild word when we understand what we've actually been saved from. And also notice that this is where David starts his reflection, right at the heart of the issue. John Calvin noted that it is not without cause that he begins with God's pardoning mercy, for reconciliation with him is the fountain from which all other blessings flow. Who heals all your diseases? God does indeed sometimes heal physical disease, but here David is talking about the sickness of the soul, healed by the same act of atonement that brought us forgiveness. The Spirit brings us healing from the inherent corruption of our nature, who redeems your life from the pit. Now we can see that the pit is well-deserved death and destruction, but instead, God gives us love and mercy. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? With this mercy and love, we're crowned as sons and daughters by God himself. This is a crown of mercy, not of merit. As we go through, now you can feel David's heart building in this. As he reminds himself of God's power and goodness, trusting with all of his heart, mind, and soul and strength, the feelings begin to follow. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? Not the mundane good of earthly riches, wealth, or happiness, friends, relationships, or even the church. God gives us himself. It is God alone that brings true satisfaction. Then the body might fail, but the spirit endures because he has satisfied us with good. The strength to persevere, to hold fast to the end, does not come from within. It comes from God himself. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Here David starts to take a wider view and looks outward. Though a rich king, David himself was oppressed and knew that God was his refuge. God is the defender of the oppressed. 
All justice and order comes from him. While David was on the other end of the promise of Christ, we know that God has promised that Christ will return one day and set everything to right and execute perfect justice. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Here David is expanding to include Israel specifically in his expression of God's benefits. And by extension, the church as the inheritor of the promises made to Israel. God's not hidden. He can be known. He revealed himself to Israel and he kept his promises to them. In Christ, God is fully known. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Here David continues the inclusion of Israel and specifically what he's talking about is he's referencing Exodus 34 verses 4 through 6. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first. He rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and he proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We're often quick to anger and demand swift justice for any perceived wrongs that we might have felt. If God was like that, there'd be no hope for any of us. But praise God for his mercy, grace, and love. In verse 9, he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Now this comes from the heart of David, an adulterous murderer. As far as the east is from the west is an expression that conveys that God's mercy is infinite, uncontainable. Think about that for a minute. We all have the sins that would cover us in shame if everybody knew them. But every single sin we've ever committed or will commit, the things we've done, the things we don't do that we should, all of it is forgiven by the blood of Christ. Once we're saved by grace, we continue to be saved, not by good works, but by the continued mercy of God. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and is gone, and its place knows it no more. Here David continues the theme of continued sustenance by God. Here all pride is destroyed and taken away. Whatever good we think we've attained in this life still falls short of perfection. Our lives are really just dust. But God knows us and he gets that. He made us. The great God 
who created and sustains the universe, knows our frailty. And he has a tender heart towards us because of it. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant, and remember to do his commandments. In the face of such frailty, we hold on to the fact that God does not change. His love is steadfast, never ending, never changing, never failing, ever. Submission and obedience to God's word is the natural result of those who worship God in truth. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. What began as a simple act of stirring his heart in the uh, first verse and his mind and soul to consider God's power and goodness now grows into something that can't be contained. David began with a reflection of God's benefits to David personally, then God's goodness to his own people. And now he's making a general declaration of God's infinite glory. He's actively engaging others in his blessing, extending eventually to all creation. Bless the Lord, O you, his angels, the mighty ones who do his word. Obey the voice of his word. David begins with the angels, and he uses them to stir our own hearts. Notice how the angels are mighty, and yet they listen to and obey the voice of God. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Now David's including not only angels, but all heavenly beings. And they're not idle in their worship of God's glory, but they're ministers standing ready to do their work as God commands it. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Everything in heaven and everything on earth. You can't be more inclusive than that. It's an expression of the fact that God is sovereign over all. All works in all places, in all time, are his and his alone. There isn't anywhere on earth or in heaven no small place or faraway corner where God is not praised. David here is stirring up such a recognition of God's magnificent and uncontained goodness that it should move us to speak out in praise. Bless the Lord, O my soul. That's the culmination of the journey of the soul that we've seen David come through. So we come back to right where we started, but now it has deep and rich meaning. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, indeed. When trouble comes, as it surely will, when life is too much to handle, engage your heart, mind, and soul and rehearse God's benefits to yourself and to each other. Hold on to the fact that God is the sovereign Lord of all and his purpose will be accomplished absolutely. And hold on to his goodness. Hold on to Jesus and bring others along with you.
Please join me in a prayer to close. Father, we ask that you would ground us in love so that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth of love, knowing the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Please fill us this morning. Amen.